As you're doing one, two, three, one, two, three, one, two, turn slightly to your right until you turn completely around and you're facing where you started. One, two, three, one, two, three, one, two. One, two, three, one, two, three. Here we go. Slight turn. One, two, three, one, two, three, one, turn. One, two, three, one, two, three, one, two. One, two, three, one, two, three, one, ten. One, two, three, one, two, three. Let's turn slightly, slowly, gradually. One, two, three, one, two, three, one, two. One, two, three, one, two, three, one, two. One, two, three, one, two, three, one, two. Turn a little on the first, one, two, three. A little bit more on the second, and a little bit more on the one, two. Here we go. One, two, three, one, two, three, one, two. Turn slightly, a little bit more. That's it. One, two, three. One, two, three, very slow. One, two, three, one, two, three, one, two. Pandora's box, a box of chocolates Would I know To stay away oh, I said Pandora's box, a box of chocolates Would I eat Them anyway Cause Every time I have Half a mind to leave you Babe, that means I have Half a mind to stay it's Pandora's Lunchbox on WCBN FM Ann Arbor. Good evening. This is Mike. Pandora's Lunchbox is a show about food and culture. Food is going to be the second course this evening. Later on in the show, we're going to hear from Eileen Spring of Food Gatherers about their annual grilling event to help them do their job of rescuing food for people all over Washtenaw County. They rescue several million pounds of food every year, and we're going to hear from Eileen Spring later in the show. But first, the first course is culture. And one of my favorite things about eating food, I would say, is cross-culture things going on in the food. For instance, one of my favorite items of food was a reindeer quesadilla. But today we're going to hear about a cross-cultural effort involving textiles, Scotland, and Nigeria. And my guest is Sally Volkman. Hello. Hi. How are you doing? Very good, thank you. So tell me what you're up to. You've got a documentary you're working on. What's it all about? Yes. Um, well, I leave tomorrow, and I'll be flying into Edinburgh, Scotland. And for the next three weeks, I'll be meeting with archivists, museum curators, hopefully some former mill workers. And I'll be kind of conducting research and gathering interviews on the connections between Scotland and Nigeria through textiles. And your documentary is going to be called Afro Kilt. Yes. Can you explain the title? Um, so Afro Kilt stems from um, stereotypes, kind of, that are associated with African culture and then Scottish culture and the way that they're represented in the media. And uh, that sounds like that there are, well, I guess, even though it's just two syllables and eight letters, there are quite a lot of stereotypes around uh, both Scottish and African culture. So uh, what's your goal with that, then? Um, my goal is to just kind of modernize the perception of those. So to show kind of the 
arrange like the wide array um sorry okay. kind of the um how kilts are actually worn that they're more for traditional ceremonies that they're not worn every day mm-hmm. um and then in african cultures specifically in nigeria these robes are similar for important ceremonies like funerals, weddings, and they're worn by important men like kings. And there's a, a thread connecting them, you might say, and that's kind of the, the whole point, isn't it, in a way? Right. Um, so the J&P Coats Company is the one of the oldest thread manufacturers in Scotland, and they created this thread called Anchor Thread, which is found in contemporary embroidered Nigerian robes. And I'm so part of the research is to go into the Scottish business archives and to find out exactly how that trade started and, you know, why it is that there's Scottish thread in these Nigerian robes. There's been a lot of history of trade between countries through the centuries, and it it's, it sounds like a lot of possibilities, that, uh, a lot of journeys between Scotland and Nigeria and countries in between. There seems to be a lot that you can look into. Definitely. Um, at least with missionaries, um, trade, the cotton trade is huge, and um, education. So, so uh, what brought you down this path, going from, uh, well, I guess another question would be, how how did you end up interested in both Scottish and Nigerian culture? How, how did you end up and in, in, end up doing this documentary? Let's see, in high school, I was assigned to go to a local museum. So I went to the Saginaw Art Museum, and they had this Yoruba exhibit. And mm. um, the, Yoruba, the Yoruba is from Nigeria, and there was sculptures and cloth and proverbs, and I was just captiva- captivated. And then when I came to Michigan, I took a modern Scotland course. and wow. <laughs> So mm. that had a two-week study abroad component. So after the semester of learning about the geological formation, the um, political system. We went to Scotland, and I was just blown away by their culture, and specifically the textile culture with the tartans, and then also the jute manufacturing. And I came back and realized that um, cloth kind of denotes your lineage or your clan or which family you come from, and it was similar in both cultures. And I just thought that was kind of a nice realization and wanted to investigate some more about that. So what is what is jute? What is a jute? I guess I don't oh, know. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so um, Dundee, Scotland used to be Jutopolis, the jute capital of the world. Really? That and, was the actual name? Right. Oh, wow. <laughs> um, Sorry, keep talking. We got a phone here. Okay, phone <laughs> is now gone. Here we go. Yeah. Um, and so jute is kind of similar to burlap sacks. It's really... Um, scratchy and durable so you could transport things like corn in it okay and uh but the cloth that is made by this company in scotland what's the company again that you're talking about uh the coats company the coats company is that different from jute yes very different um so the coats company it's gotten to be the largest thread supplier in the world they're multi-faceted and um so now there's they, they provide thread that's in shoelaces, zippers, down to the craft market for knitting and crocheting and embroidery. And when did they start doing all of this, this company? Um, This company, it's been around since the 1800s, and it's sort of, it was a small family business, and it kind of kept growing and partnering, and um, 
like I said, it's on six. It's in six continent era. Six continents. Six continents. Now, that's, yes, that's, that's that's getting that's quite a bit of spreading. And I understand. Uh, I was talking to a friend. Now I'm not an expert myself. Maybe you can help me here. But I understand the Scottish were great capitalists and creators. Ah, uh, definitely. Yeah. Um, oh, that's that's. Funny. <laughs> yeah. So, um, well, another question I have here is, um, well, first of all, Sally, you're a uni- University of Michigan student? Yes, I will be. I need one more semester doing a victory lap. It'll be my fifth year. <laughs> Great. <laughs> but I'll, um, I'm in the art school and also getting a minor from the Screen Arts and Cultures Department. So you've had experience with all, all aspects of documentary making then? Yes, definitely. I've Through the art school, I've been able to work on solo projects and get in critique from my classmates and professors there. And then also through the screen arts, um, I've been able to work with groups and um, kind of been able to collaborate in that setting. Very good. And I guess uh, you've, you've got a series of questions. I should say, first of all, that you have a Kickstarter campaign for your documentary. Yeah. And the documentary, again, is called Afro Kilt. And uh, is this your first Kickstarter campaign? This is first ever Kickstarter, and okay. I'm definitely learning every day as I go on how to promote the film and the Kickstarter and get the word out. Cool. Now, one thing I guess is new to me is talking to somebody who is about to make a documentary. <laughs> I've had uh, folks on, on this show who have done documentaries, uh, but this is an, inter- it's an interesting step to be in. And you have some very interesting questions on your uh, Kickstarter page where you're talking about uh, what are some of the questions you're going to, to research in Scotland. Uh, what are some some of the things you're looking to find out? Um, I'm trying to find out. Well, I'm the research is trying to find out exactly how the thread traveled from Scotland to Nigeria, but also sort of focusing on how do um, patterns of the stripes and the colors denote lineage, and um, how has uh, globalization and also the industrial revolution shifted practices that must that might have been just home based or small family business based to now um, businesses that could be outsourced or kind of how trade is affecting those. And it sounds like to me you've got already a big ju- juxtaposition because you have people who might have used these threads to create things at their home, and yet you also have probably some big factories creating them, and then perhaps some of the big factories create robes that go to Nigeria? Oh, right. So about the robes. So um, the thread that's manufactured in Scotland is, um, that thread is kind of connected, it's embroidered robes. So these robes are um, wide sleeves, flowing, pretty uh, pretty large robes, and those are usually hand-woven from cotton. Um, and then that thread, that Scottish thread, is embroidered um, with different designs, like the two knife and the eight knife are hmm. kind of symbolizing protection of those big people. Now, how would those knives be arranged? How would you see that? Um, so you would see two coming down the shoulder, and then maybe uh, more coming across the stomach, and uh, some hidden in the sleeves. So. A lot of interesting meanings going on in a garment. Well, we're going to take just a moment here to listen to some Nigerian music. And 
I wish I had music specifically about uh, a garment, but I do have uh, some Nigerian music about food, and I think we're talking here about uh, multiculturalism and about cultures trying to work together and create things. Uh, this is a dispute, actually, that's going on in this particular song, this uh, Nigerian artist here by the name of Chief Stephen Osita Osadebe. And his song talks about a bit of a proverb, actually a proverb, the person with yams will be cultivating the land. And the question here he's saying in this song is, are you engaging in a dispute that you do not have the resources to win? Well, the person who has the resources to win will actually win. So you might want to keep that in mind. This song is about a dispute. He's saying, what about our secret? We had a secret. Why did you ask me about the secret publicly? The fish I gave you to tend, not one, not two. You ate them all. This doesn't, this sounds like some mediation is necessary, but uh, let's hear a little bit of that music, shall we? This is uh, Pandora's Lunchbox on WCBN. Oh, 
It's Pandora's Lunchbox and WCN. WCBN, that's what I'm trying to say. Good evening, this is Mike. Pandora's Lunchbox, a show about food and culture. This is music from Chief Stephen Osita Osadebe about a dispute between two people. And there are many opportunities to make links between people. And this is a subject that's that we have a guest in the studio who's in the process, is about to make a documentary about that. This is uh, Sally. Welcome back. Thank you. Sally Volkman is doing a documentary called Afro Kilt. She's going to Scotland soon to study connections between Scotland and Nigeria based on the thread that's been created in Scotland by the Coates Company for more, well more than 100 years, close to 200 years, isn't it? Yes, exactly. So I know one thing you talked about was that you want to dispel notions of perhaps stereotypes about Scotland and stereotypes about Nigeria. And I think we were saying that people don't necessarily understand that there's a lot of complexity and it's they're, they're also both very modern countries. People sometimes have stereotypes about Brigadoon and Braveheart and and don't know anything about Nigeria at all. Maybe some people are just not educated about Nigeria and the rich culture there. Uh, what are some of your, your goals with that in that regard? Um, I definitely like to uh, show just showcase Nigeria's rich culture in textiles and weaving and um, the symbolism in some of their textiles have amazing imagery um, and proverbs, just like in the song. And um, I think it's just a really advanced, interesting way to look into a culture by what you're wearing. It kind of shows what you believe in and um, you can kind of get a feel for people just like we do and based kind of judging people based off what they wear. And then in Scotland, I, for the Scottish side of it, I just like to kind of give more information about the tartans, the kilts, and show that they're really only worn for um, important ceremonies to show your pride. And I know some students wear them to proms. and mm-hmm. right. um, So it's not just a bunch of Scotsmen running around eating haggis, wearing kilts. Right. <laughs> it's more, definitely more of a modern place. And all reflected by uh, the garments and the designs of the garments, a lot of complex patterns. Right. Actually, um, the Queen's Jubilee that just happened, they uh, designed a brand new tartan for her to wear based on some of her favorite colors, the royal purple and the pink. Wow, I didn't know that. That is interesting. So you're going to go to a bunch of different places in Scotland to do your research for the film. What are some of the places you're going to go? Yes, so I'll be going to the National Library in Edinburgh and the Glasgow Scottish Business Archives in Glasgow, and I'll probably go to uh, Paisley's, got a bunch of museums, um, and then I'll also go up to Dundee, the jute capital, and they have a great museum called Verdant Works that was actually a jute mill, and they converted it to a museum, and the women that give the tours actually worked in the museum, or sorry, worked in the mu- mill oh, wow. while that was going on. And um, I'll be going to Aloha, Scotland. That's where one of the first mills um, was built, and the ruins are there, so I'll take some photos. Very cool. Mm -hmm. Well, anything else you'd like to add about your documentary or any other thoughts you have? Well, I'd just really like to thank the School of Art and Design for funding it and the Ann Arbor Fiber Arts Guild for their contributions 
just thank my family, friends, and professors for all their support. Um, and just to remind people to check out the Kickstarter. There's a great video that kind of explains exactly what I'll be doing. And if you'd like to make a donation, that'd be really appreciated. Well, Sarah Volkman, thank you for being on Pandora's Lunchbox on WCBN. And her documentary, To Be Made, very soon, is Afro Kilt. She's flying to Scotland tomorrow, right? Yes. Well, good luck on that. Thank you. And thank you for stopping by. So that's on Kickstarter. Afro Kilt is her documentary she's making. Well, it's 10 minutes to 7, and Arwolf will be here to help us face the music with plenty of Fats Waller in just a moment. But we're also going to talk to another guest in just a moment, Eileen Spring of Food Gatherers. First, we're going to get a little food-growing inspiration with some temptations here. Lunchbox, and thank you, Temptations and Smokey, for writing that song. We've had a couple of fish references yet today. And we're almost up to 7 o'clock and face the music, but first of all, we want to take pay a visit to Food Gatherers. Food Gatherers has a special event this weekend, an annual event called Grillin'. It's an event where you can support a special organization in Washtenaw County. Here is Eileen Spring. She's the president of Food Gatherers, and she's going to fill us in on what it's all about. Food Gatherers role is to fight hunger in Washtenaw County, and we do that in a particular way in that we are the people that procure food for area nonprofits that serve folks directly. And we we get food through various food rescue activities, meaning we, we capture food while it's still wholesome, but isn't going to be sold in a restaurant or in a wholesaler, and we redistribute it to um, various agencies that are serving people directly. We also increasingly get food from our national office, which is Feeding America, and we also grow food um, through a variety of partnerships that are growing healthy local produce. So some of the people you rescue food from are places like caterers that have extra food? 
Sure. And also institutional kitchens. We get a lot from grocery stores are very supportive of us. And um, pretty much any place that, you know, creates any food on a large scale in Washtenaw County, we can rescue it. Okay. And probably it gets a little complicated figuring out, making sure everything's uh, right on as far as health codes, right? You probably do a lot of work with that. Certainly. We, all of our staff are ServeSafe trained, and we have a lot of food safety expertise on staff. And it's really important to the food businesses that we work with that we abide by all health department regulations and, in fact, often exceed them. Okay. And speaking of food, there's a big food-oriented event coming up this weekend. Grillin' for Food Gathers is a giant picnic. We call it a picnic with a purpose. And it's the one day of year that we charge the community for food so that we can fight hunger throughout the year. And it's a really festive, family-friendly event, pretty low-key. It's outside at the Farm Council grounds on Ann Arbor Saline Road. And we have dozens of area great restaurants that donate salads. And then more than 100 volunteers grill up sausages and vegetables. And we have beer and wine, cash beer and wine, a silent auction, kids' activities from the Ann Arbor Hands-On Museum, and great music. This year we have George Bedard and the Kingpins, who's a mainstay. And we also have the Appleseed Collective and Back 40. So definitely some food-oriented uh, music going on there. Absolutely. And what, what are some of the picnic-oriented foods that you get there? Well, folks can ha- will have a variety of salads. So some of the area restaurants that contribute to us are Cafe Zola, Shalimar, uh, Zingerman's Roadhouse. Zingerman's Bakehouse does the desserts. We have folks from um, Casey's Tavern and Red Hawk and just everyone you can imagine pretty much. The Earl, Grange, you know, they all make some sort of side salad to serve up with people. We have grilled um, corn on the cob and other vegetables, and we serve vegetarian food as well, so... And chicken sometimes? Chicken and grilled sausages. And some dessert, I believe. Yes, and gelato. Wonderful. (laughs) And um, Food Gatherers is always evolving, wouldn't you say? What are some things that uh, the Food Gatherers has been evolving with lately? Well, we really have been struggling to keep up with the demand for services um, since the onset of the recession and that we really have seen the demand for for hunger relief and just general support of other nonprofits increase dramatically. And one of the other ways we've evolved is to try to be really focused on not just rescuing and distributing any kind of food, but focusing on food that's most nutritionally and economically valuable to people. We learned a couple of years ago that only one in like only 13% of the folks who ever went to an emergency pantry ate the recommended amounts of fruits and vegetables, mm. which is you know really problematic. And so one of our really ambitious goals was in the you know to have a goal that of all the food we distribute, and we distribute more than 5 million pounds annually, then more than half of it will be either fresh fruits and vegetables and protein items. And I'm really proud to say that we have met that goal for this year. And that's about 3 million pounds of produce and protein. Thank you, Eileen Spring of Food Gatherers. Talking about Grillin', you can find out all about that at foodgatherers.org. Grillin', the event, is this Sunday from 3 to 8 p.m. at the Washtenaw Farm Council Grounds on Ann Arbor Saline Road. 
Food Gatherers, the Food Rescue Operation in Washtenaw County. I've been Mike for a pretty long time now, especially in the last half hour. Thank you for listening to Pandora's Lunchbox. Do not stop listening because coming up next, it is Arwolf and Face the Music and Fats Waller, and you know you have to. So... Just before I go, I want to play a song because I was gravely disappointed I could not play a song about salt pork last week. Last week we did the show about Camp Bacon, and so here it is, ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Lewis Jordan to get us up to the 7 o'clock hour, and Mr. Arwolf Arf. Lewis Jordan and Salt Pork, West Virginia. Get that on your map. This is WCBN-FM Ann Arbor. Jordan. Thank you, Mike Perini. It's 7 o'clock. This is WCBN-FM Ann Arbor. It's time for Face the Music. Time for the music of Fats Waller. We're going to begin with, well, first let me just say that I think tonight's show has got some of the best records that he made in 1937. The uh, the overall range from 1935 to 39 tonight was some fabulous uh, instrumentals and vocal tracks, ensemble works, 
and starting with this piano solo, it's Vincent Yeoman's T for Two. <laughs> 